This is from Acts chapter 10. Uh, just to, to fill in the background to this, um, Peter, who's mentioned at the beginning of the reading, is the apostle Peter. Um, he's a good dyed-in-the-wool Jew. Uh, and uh, like a Jew of his day, he thinks that any contact with Gentiles, in other words, anybody that isn't a Jew, is really, really wrong. Uh, and God is trying to explain to him that the, the gospel is for everybody. It's a gospel for the whole world. Uh, and, and so it's taken a number of years, and the Lord now knows that, that, that the church is ready, but he first needs to convince Peter. Uh, and so he gives him a vision uh, and uh, as a result of that vision uh, and, and a visit from some servants of a man called Cornelius, who's a Roman, he's a Roman centurion, so he's one of the occupying forces, Peter takes an enormous step and he goes down to Cornelius's house. Uh, and this is where we pick the reading up in Acts 10 and verse 25. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. When I was sent for, I came without raising any objection May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house, praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout all the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. 
for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He ordered them that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. We're just going to look for a few moments at three verses from the Bible, all of which talk about baptism. And it's really a case of picking the low fruit off some branches, really, and sharing. So, yep, we've got a So, first verse, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There there are three things I want to mention from this. There's only one from the the two other verses, but the the first word is this, repent. Do any of you have sat-navs in your car? I have a sat-nav, and I have a theory that the reason it's a nice, soft, gentle lady's voice is so that I don't shout at it when it tells me to take the third exit off the roundabout, and I meticulously, carefully count one, two, three, and I go off on what now appears to be a motorway, and there's going to be no exit for the next 12 miles, And repeatedly, my sat-nav says to me, please turn round as soon as possible. Please turn round. And she does that for about the next 12 miles. Uh, And and, and being very kind of long-tempered. As a man, I might say, you're a stupid machine. Because you just sometimes, I don't know whether it's me that I don't count the exits right or whether they've built an extra one, but repentance means just that. Turn around at the earliest possible opportunity because you're on the wrong road. I I, I don't bother to work out which wrong road I'm on. I just know I'm on a wrong road. It's not going to take me where I want to be. So the very best thing I can do is to actually listen to that voice and turn around and head back where I want to go. And and that's really what repentance is. It, It literally means a change of mind, a change of intention, a change of direction. Uh, And particularly, it means turning around from moving away from God, being disobedient to God, to following God, trusting God, loving God. that's, That's what repentance is. Job, who had a very difficult Uh, period in his life. Job says this at one point, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Uh, At the beginning of all of Job's trials, his friends are telling him, oh, you're really quite a wicked man, Job. This is why all this is happening. Uh, And Job becomes slightly self-righteous, and he says, I'm not that bad. Uh, And he's almost saying at the end, I'm not bad at all. But when he really sees who God is, he says, whoa, how wrong I was. Now I see who you are, God. Now I understand who you are and how holy you are. I realize that I'm not as good as I thought I was. I need to turn to you. Repentance means just 
turning around completely. In the Continental Congress, John Adams, an American, um, he wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, explaining the Continental Congress's decision to declare a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Uh, You notice our parliament hasn't summoned us to do that, but uh, maybe they should take uh, fortune. He says this, we've appointed a continental fast. Millions will be upon their knees at once before their great creator, imploring his forgiveness and blessing his smiles on American council and arms. It took almost a year for that um, call to the nation to go out, um, but eventually it did, uh, and this is, this is how it was worded. The Congress desirous to have the people of all ranks and degrees duly impressed with a solemn sense of God's superintending providence and of their duty devoutly to rely on his aid and direction to earnestly recommend Friday, the 17th day of May, to be observed by the colonies as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer, that we may with united hearts confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions and by sincere repentance and amendment of life appease God's righteous displeasure and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ obtain his pardon and forgiveness. What what an amazing thing. Repentance, you see, leads to forgiveness of sins. Uh, when the, the idea here was that if the nation came before God uh, and acknowledged it, its sinfulness, that God would grant them forgiveness of sins. Uh, and that's, that's what the gospel is talking about. And whether it's a whole nation or whether it's one individual, when we come to God uh, and confess our, our sins before him, something absolutely amazing happens. God forgives us all the wrong we've ever done. He erases it. He eradicates it. It it was as if it had never, ever happened. Uh, And I don't know about you, but that's just such a wonderful message to me because I mess up fairly frequently. I don't know about you. Um, I don't get everything right in my life. Uh, and, And just to know that there is a God there who is willing to, to set that aside and still loves us. And that's what God says, repent, turn to me, uh, and you'll know the joy of forgiveness. If you've had a, an argument with somebody, if you've fallen out with somebody, uh, and you, you, you manage to, to reach that point where you say you're sorry, and they say, and I'm sorry, because with human beings it's always two-sided, isn't it? Uh, and you really genuinely are reconciled to one another. The sense of freedom uh, and liberty that you get is, is just absolutely amazing, isn't it? You suddenly feel as if your burdens have been lifted. Uh, and that's how Christians feel when they repent and when they really know that God has forgiven them for all their sins. Uh, and that's why part of baptism is, is that it symbolizes the washing a way of sin. That's what has happened to Paul. He's repented. He's trusted in Christ. Uh, and God is saying to him, and Paul, everything you've ever done, all the, all, all the wrong choices you've ever made, all the, the mistakes you've ever made, you know what? They're gone. Forgotten. 
forgiven. And, and, and you start a whole new life. But it's not just enough, is it, to have your sins forgiven and start a whole new life. Uh, I've shared this before. I was a mucky child when I was in school. Um, I'd be given a nice, pristine, new um, exercise books. We used to have those ones with staples in, do you remember? And a, and a blue cover. Uh, and I'd get this pristine book with, with this, it, oh, it was neat. The edges were wonderful. They were lovely. I, I only had to have it in and out of my satchel a few times and write a few notes on it, and it would be ink blotted, curly edged, uh, and, and pulling away from the, from the binding um, because I would mess it up again. Uh, and what God is saying is that not only do we get forgiveness of sins, but we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to keep us on the right track. He, he's there to, to show us what God wants us to be. But more than that, he's there to help us to be what God wants us to be. The Bible calls him, uh, Jesus calls him, the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it does not know him. But he says to his disciples, but you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus said to his disciples the, the night in which he was betrayed, he said, the spirit of truth will come. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll tell you everything about me. And he does something wonderful. In, in Romans 8, 16, uh, Paul says, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. One of the things that I think frequently happens, it certainly happened an awful lot to me, was that when you kind of step back and you think about it, you think, can this really be true? This is so wonderful. This is so amazing. Uh, and yet, I'm not the perfect person that I wanted to be. I'm still messing up. Uh, and it's the Holy Spirit who at that moment will say to you, yes, you are, but you're messing up as a child of God. And God, your Heavenly Father, loves you. Uh, and God, your Heavenly Father, is willing to, to forgive you and help you to live better because coming to know christ is is, is a, a one-off event it, it happens in time and space but becoming like christ takes a lifetime uh, and so don't get discouraged paul if you you find that that some of the the old habits are, are creeping back again just allow the holy spirit to help you to overcome uh, and to be what god wants you to be and do it knowing that that's exactly where all the rest of us are. That's exactly where all the rest of us are working. Uh, and Paul says to that same set of Roman Christians, he says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And then he says, we don't even know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. There are times when we, we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, we don't even know how to pray. And the Holy Spirit who dwells within us it is our help and our aid. So let's have a look at the, the second verse. This one is, it is from uh, Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? What does that mean? Baptized into his death. Paul, when you became a Christian, what happened was that your life and Jesus' life became inseparable. They couldn't be pulled apart. 
and, and everything that had happened to Jesus and everything that was Jesus's became yours. At, at a wedding service, we often say, don't we, you know, um, everything I've got is now yours and everything you've got is now mine. You know, we, we're going to share life together. I, in a much more profound way, this is true. And one of the, the things that happened was that Jesus died. He died not for his own sins, but for yours and mine. Um, but when he died, we died with him. We, we shared in that death in order that we might also share in his resurrection. That's why I always promise people, I will bring you up out of the water. It ruins the whole symbolism of, of the thing if I don't do. Paul writing to the Philippians says, Oh, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection. Uh, and that's what's being symbolized here. You don't bury somebody until they're dead. But you don't bring them out again because in, in physical burial, that's, that's the final thing you do. But here we're celebrating not only Good Friday, but Easter. We're celebrating not only the fact that, that Christians are dead to sin, but that they're also alive to God. One last verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ put on Christ. It's another strange one. What does it mean to, to put on Christ? Well, when I get up in the morning, I, I, I put on my clothes. I think most people probably do that. Polite people do anyway. Um, but, but that's what you put something on. I, if you are, are a soldier and, 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 and you're going out to do some desert warfare, you, you'd put on fatigues that were suitable for the, the process that you were going to go through. If you were in a jungle, you'd put on a different set of, of, of fatigues. If you were in the Arctic, you'd put on a different set again. You, you dress yourself appropriately for the task that you're going to. Uh, and most of us do that, don't we? Um, you, you, you dress differently to go to a wedding and to go to your allotment, I hope. Maybe not these days, um, but, but you do. You, you, you dress appropriately. Uh, and how can we stand before God? We, we need to be dressed appropriately, don't you? Uh, I, I used to love the old... Did anybody remember the old Hamlet cigar adverts? Do you remember them? Happiness, it used to end, is a cigar called Hamlet. And then, of course, you weren't allowed to think about cigars, so they took all the adverts away. But there were all sorts of ones. My, my all-time favorite was the man dressed in the chicken suit who's gone to a party, uh, and he clearly has been misled by someone that this is a fancy dress party. So he throws open the door, jumps in through the door, and makes chicken noises, which I'm not going to try and repeat. Um, I could do, but I won't do. Uh, and so there he is, clucking away, and then he looks up, and everybody else is in a tuxedo. They've all got dinner jackets, bow ties, the ladies are all in there, and he kind of backs out of the room, and as the adwits always finished, he gets his cigar out, he lights it up, and happiness was a cigar called Hamlet. He was utterly, inappropriately, embarrassingly dressed for the party that he'd gone to. How can we be appropriately dressed to go before God? Not as, I'm not saying to come to church. It's a whole different issue. 
about what you wear to come to church. Basically, wear what you want to. Um, but, but to stand before God. Chris, my wife, and I, um, on one occasion, got an invite to a garden party at the palace. It was a very intimate affair. There, there was the queen, us, and 2,998 other people. Um, but, he, but we got this letter from the palace instructing us as to what was and what was not appropriate to wear, to say, to do. Probably some of you have had the same experience. And you had to follow that. And we found ourselves kind of walking around and saying, oh, they didn't read the letter. They haven't got the right clothes on, being like little children, you know. They, oh, they, they got it wrong. Because you were supposed to, all the ladies were supposed to wear a hat or apparently what is known as a fascinator, which is a new word I learned. Um, but there was a dress code. And there was a code for how you spoke to Her Majesty, the first time you were to say one thing, and then ever afterwards you were to say something different. You were not to initiate conversation with her unless she initiated conversation with her. You were not to touch her. Oh, no, 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 no. There were all these rules and regulations. If that's true of an earthly monarch, what must it be true of Almighty God? And yet, the, what the Bible says is absolutely amazing. You can address God, and you can address him if you're a Christian as Abba, Father, my Father. Uh, uh, but you need to be appropriately dressed. You need to be what the Bible calls robed in the righteousness of Christ. You need to be dressed appropriately. Your life needs to be hidden with Christ before you stand before God. Because the, the dirty rags of, of our old life are not appropriate to come into the presence of God. So we're to put on Jesus. We're, we're to, to live in him just as he lives in us. Uh, and we're to be people who live and love. It, it's expanded in Scripture. It says, make no provision for the flesh. Put on the new self as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And it tells us another thing in Corinthians, and I'll close with this. We must put off the perishable and put on the imperishable. Christians are people who live for eternity, and they live because of what Jesus has done, because of Jesus' life and death. They live in a way that means they can stand before God and not feel out of place because they're robed in the righteousness of Christ. So I, I would ask you to, to think this afternoon whether Paul's experience is your experience. Do, do you know what it is to really have a life-changing experience? Do, do you know what it is to know the, the sheer joy of knowing that all your sins are forgiven, all your past is wiped away. If you don't, you can do. Because it's not a, a limited time offer, uh, and it's not a, a, an offer that's only made to some people. You remember what Peter said? Now I understand, he says, that people without distinction can find peace with God. Uh, and that would be 
the big takeaway from a baptism service, from a service of believers' baptism. All that has happened, in this case, it's just Paul that's being baptized. Sometimes we've had four or five people. But all that has happened to him, to them, could happen to me because it's the same God and I'm in the same need and God can make the same provision for me.